Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have John Basford with Lateral Solutions. Welcome, John. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to catch up with you. Uh, for those who don't know, share a little bit about Lateral Solutions. How are you serving folks? Yeah, Lateral Solutions is a, uh, a operations management company where we specialize in the launch and management of internal operations for startups, small businesses, and nonprofits. So what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in this line of work? Sure. So uh, my, my uh, I got started this, you know, I fell into association work, you know, not necessarily intentionally. Uh, I am one of those people who went to law school, did not know what I wanted to do after law school. And I ended up working for a legal organization. I was a member of law school. And I started out in the membership, programmatic, volunteer management side of the house. And then as time went on, started taking on more internal operation roles, uh, staff management, budget management, building management, et cetera. And so when I was you know, looking for a, a new role, I uh, was looking for operational roles and, and I got a, a great opportunity to work for a tech trade association that was a startup in service startups. So even though it was still in the association world, it gave me a, a this this immersion into working for startups in the startup ecosystem. And it really allowed me to kind of grow my skills and experience while the organization grew. And from there, continued on a number of other operations roles and then became a consultant where it started out just with me uh, launching and managing internal operations. And then as time went on, grew it to have a, a accounting staff and an HR staff to service more clients. So operations are one of those kind of unsung heroes of an organization, right? Like that it's something that every organization has, whether they're being proactive and mindful about building it effectively and efficiently. Are, are there some mistakes you see uh, when you enter a new client or prospective client that you're like, oh, here they are, they're making these kind of basic operational mistakes that can so easily be fixed if they would have done some of these foundational things? Yeah, I think... You know, young organizations, whether for profit or nonprofit, run into a, a couple of mistakes. One is, is that starting out, sometimes they're going to overpay for the work needed. I mean, I literally have seen an organization pay their corporate attorney, who you know is being billed at four to six hundred dollars an hour, handle their business insurance, which is an administrative function, right? It's filling out forms and sending them back into an insurance broker. So one one mistake is definitely overpaying. Uh, for administrative tasks. The other one is having very junior, unknowledgeable people do some of these tasks that do take some expertise and nuance. So you have, you gotta have both into the spectrum there where they're, they're having really skilled, educated, uh, specialized people doing administrative work. And then you have administrative people doing specialized work, right? So it's both ends of the spectrum. Another common mistake that I run into is, you know, a lot of times the CEO, executive director, founder, whatever, believes that they know enough about operations that they can handle it themselves. And look, nothing, none of us rocket science, right? I mean, with enough education, enough experience, research, et cetera, you know, an intelligent person can handle and figure out most things. But the problem runs into the fact that 
that's not what a CEO or executive director should be doing. You know, they should be focusing on the core mission, the core service of the organization and making sure that they're driving uh, profits and revenue. And so what always ends up happening is these operational matters fall to the wayside. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've come into a situation where they're paying me and my organization far more to clean up the mistakes and to clean up their books and HR, et cetera, that would have cost them to hire us from the beginning and that CEO or the other people involved would have saved their time as well. But when you mentioned like kind of both ends of the spectrum, if you aren't kind of knowledgeable about all this stuff, it's hard to discern what is the thing that I got to have my lawyer do and what is the thing I can have my admin do. Uh, you need somebody that at least kind of knows the lay of the land so they can point and say, okay, that's something that can easily be handled by admin. And this is something that you better hire an expert because if you screw this up, that's going to have ramifications for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why Lateral Solutions really offers a, a range of services. So we'll do everything from, you know, being your outsourced operations team from the start. I, I have literally had a few clients come to me and say, We've incorporated in Delaware. Now what? And so we get their EIN, their bank account set up, their business insurance, their books set up, their HR, payroll, et cetera. We set up all the administrative functions for them, which normally could be done in 30 to 45 days. Uh, I say normally because sometimes it depends on, you know, the, um, uh, an officer of the organization to, to sign forms and that sort of stuff. And there could be some delays, but we also offer services like COO advising. You know, for an organization that's not quite ready to take that leap, but they need that trusted advisor who's there to hold their hand, direct them, so they're not making costly mistakes, but also not spinning an arm and a leg uh, for just the advising. Yeah, so I, that's why I can see, uh, especially if there's a change of leadership or an organization that's plateaued or is frustrated, to have you come in and just kind of get the lay of the land to let them know, hey, you know what, if we shore this area up, you might be on a new trajectory. Um, I think that that's critical, especially if you don't have somebody on the team that can do this kind of stuff. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, we're, we are reached out to by um, – individuals who just lost their director of operations right again a lot of times it's probably more of a an office manager who's been elevated a little bit and been handling accounting and hr and maybe don't really have that background or that skill set and so they're when they when they lose that person like okay now's a great time to reassess uh let's figure how you know how much time we're spending on internal operations how much time should we be spending and are there better ways to do it yeah, absolutely. So part of uh, the reason you're here today is to educate our listeners about uh, a program uh, called Employee Retention Credits. Can you talk a little bit about, first, what, what they are, number one, and number two, where the opportunity is for so many associations? Yeah, so uh, the Employee Retention Credit uh, is part of the CARES Act. You know, this is all part of uh, COVID relief uh, measures that Congress passed back in March 2020. And what it is, is it's a payroll tax credit. And without getting too granular with everything, there, there's basically four ways to qualify for this. And, you know, part of the problem with ERC is also referred to sometimes as ERTC, the Employer Retention Tax Credit. They both mean the same. 
is that you know again this launched in March 2020, but the cri- the, the 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 time period that you can qualify for this runs all the way through 2021, and so there has actually been nine updates by the IRS on who to qualify, who can qualify, and how to qualify. And every time they've done one of these notices, it's expanded these parameters. The perfect example of this is when ERC first launched. Um, if you got PPP, you were exempt from applying to ERC. After some time, they said, you know, no, let's not make an exemption, but it will discount the amount of credit you receive. And so going back to the question of what this is, this is a payroll tax credit. This is not an income tax credit. Uh, this is not a loan. There's no forgiveness. Uh, this is a credit against the payroll taxes that you have paid across uh, these periods. And so this is why it is a perfect opportunity for associations because it, it it it's not a, it's not an income tax credit right like you know when they file their 990s you know they don't pay taxes and so this is still a credit that they can get and secondly you know with the qualifications for ERC associations are ripe candidates for it and and I can kind of jump into a little bit here uh, what those four basic qualification areas are and, and why I believe associations are the best fit, even though associations across the board really are not applying for this. And quite frankly, uh, $400 billion, that is $400 billion with a B, dollars was allotted by Congress. And only a fraction of this has been applied for. ERC is just now kind of really getting some steam. And I think partly because accountants and, and people in the know about this type of stuff got burned out with PPP and the IDL. You know, managing those operations and filing those for their clients doesn't really fit their business model. And with all the changes that affected, uh, that came along with ERC, they just haven't stayed on top of it. So there are four basic ways to qualify for ERC. One is being a startup. It's pretty straightforward. If you uh, began operations, not incorporate, but began operations, including having employees after February 15th, 2020, and you average less, in, less than $1 million in revenue per year. So across 2020 and 2021, you qualify for the, uh, the startup qualification. And that is actually the, the, the lowest amount you can qualify for because it only covers your employee counts in Q3 and Q4 in 2021. Uh, but if you qualify for a startup, does it mean you have to? So you should always, if you qualify as a startup, you should also assess the other ways of qualifying to see where you'll get more money. Because the next three qualification areas I'm going to mention, they run from Q2 2020 through Q3 2021. So where a startup only has two quarters of qualifying, these other ways have six quarters you can qualify, which obviously will maximize the amount of credit you can get. Another thing good about ERC is that it's all quarter-based, and, and with these other three, it's all cumulative. So if you, and what I mean that is, it's not all or none, right? It, so if you qualify for one way for two quarters, two quarters for another way, and one quarter for the third way, it all adds up. It builds up. They don't cancel each other out. It just all adds to the quarters you qualify for and the amount of credit you'll receive. 
So these three qualifying areas that, that run across these six quarters, the first one is a gross receipts reduction, which is what the IRS calls it. So basically loss in revenue. And it is, it is substantial. And I think that this is the area where there's a lot of misinformation because I think when accountants are telling clients they don't qualify, it's based upon this financial reduction. And it is hard to do. So when you're looking at a quarter by quarter comparison between 2019 and 2020, so, so comparing Q2 2019 to Q2 2020, did you have a 50% reduction in gross receipts? That's substantial. Not very many businesses and organizations can lose 50% of their revenue quarter by quarter and stay in business. But it gets a little softer when you compare 2019 to 2021, it's only a 20% reduction. So I always recommend that my clients look at the financials, even if top of their head, they're like, there's no way we increase in revenue across both years. We didn't have any reduction. You never know where you just might've had a light quarter on your books in 2021 and you meet one quarter of that financial reduction. So that's, that's, you want to keep an eye on that. Again, you're going to, you're going to add each of these quarters up and qualifying is up. So that's, that's, that's number one. Number two is supply chain issues. Again, this is something that's not going to really affect most associations, but for, for businesses that rely on um, buying goods and selling goods, you know, supply chain issues were, were definitely hit uh, throughout COVID, but I'll, I'll, I'll brush over that since it doesn't really apply to associations. The third way to qualify in this group of three is full or partial shutdown. Now, the IRS says that or estimates that 70 to 80% of all companies in the U.S. qualify. And it's really based upon this criteria that most of them fall under that. And this is the area where I believe that majority of associations qualify as well. Can have an association background. I'm very well versed in the type of operations that they put on, the type of events, et cetera. And there's no doubt that associations qualify under this. So a full, full and partial shutdown, full or partial shutdown, I should say, sounds draconian, right? You had to stop operations. You had to lay people off. You had to stop delivering your goods and services. But again, looking at these notices that the IRS has put out to, to clarify these various rules, you can quick, quickly see that it's not that harsh for this qualification. And in fact, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. The rule basically is, is that due to government orders, you know, state, local, federal, no travel, no events, no in-person this, no in-person that, government COVID orders affected your organization's ability to deliver its goods and services from its normal course more than 10%. So what does that mean? The best example that I can give is restaurants. Every expert I've talked to, every article I've read, agrees that this is a prime candidate for full and partial shutdown. So in my area, restaurants, I think what were, were had no indoor dining for four or five months, then went to 25%, then 50%. And when they did that, let's just say a, a restaurant on day one of these shutdowns built a patio out front, replaced every table and chair. So they lost no revenue. Day one, right? They replaced it all from indoor dining to outdoor dining. But they also increased their takeout sales by 30, 40% because that's what people did during COVID. So not only did they not lose money, they increased their revenue. Every expert agrees 
that this restaurant qualifies for full or partial shutdown because it changed the way it delivered its goods and services. Now, think about all the different industries that that kind of affects. Schools, move to remote learning. Now, move over to associations. Now, what are some key components of associations? Live events, trade associations, trade events, right? Those pretty much got shut down for 2020. And given the size of them, a lot of them probably couldn't happen in 2020, 2021 either, depending on where it was located. So you have the, the, the big events of, of these uh, associations, tra- trade shows, uh, conventions, conferences, etc. But you also have to keep in mind the more local and regional stuff. Many organizations are built around chapters, which have chapter meetings and chapter events in person, social events in person. Because of government shutdowns, pretty much all of that had to stop in 2020 and some of it in 2021. Again, looking at the trade association route, look at lobbying. Lobbying drastically changed. Congress and government buildings were shut down for a long period of time. So again, the full or partial shutdown isn't that you had to stop doing these things completely, but you had to change how you did them. If you normally did it in person, you had to change the virtual. If you normally did this type of marketing, you had to change to this type of marketing. When you look at all the notices from the IRS, the way I describe what it's trying to do with full or partial shutdown is recognize and understand that these government orders had a, a, a dramatic impact on how our businesses and organizations conducted their operations. And what it's doing is rewarding companies who were creative, who adapted, kept their businesses making money, kept their organizations in business, and kept people employed. That's what it's there to do. So um, when you're working with an association and uh, you bring this up to them, and obviously, um, you know, in an ideal world, their own CPA or accounting firm would be proactively telling them this, but as you described, that's not not always the case. But when you're working with this association, can you come in and, and kind of assess the situation and do a turnkey service where you're like, okay, this is what I see, this is where the opportunity is, and now we can apply for this? Or like, what is your relationship in this matter? Is it just you telling them, hey, this is something that your accountant should do? Or is this something that your company you know, takes the ball and does it on their behalf? Yeah, very good question. So, so yeah, like you said, there's, there's two parts to this. Uh, the first part is the education. Educating people on what ERC is, what the qualification areas are, and how does that apply to their organization? That's the first step. And, you know, now that you and I are talking about this, you're going to see everywhere you go ads and start seeing ERC places. Now that we've, we've talked about this, but the problem a lot of them are making is they're just sending people links to pre-qualify. And so without educating people on these various qualification areas and breaking it down for them so they understand how it affects their business, they're going to go through these pre-qualification forms and just mark no, because they're going to go into it with a mindset that I don't qualify for this because my CPA said I don't, or I didn't lose revenue, whatever it is, whatever that pre 
preconceived notion is, they're going to go into it with that. So we help break that down. So we do one-on-one calls, webinars, et cetera, and we're offering this education to organizations, business owners, associations for free. Now, the second part of this is the actual filing. So we have partnered with the second largest ERC filing company in the U.S. I believe to date they have filed uh, for over two and a half billion, with a B, credits for small businesses and nonprofits. And it's a really straight, easy, straightforward process. So typically what happens is we do a one-on-one call or we do a webinar uh, with a, with an association or their association members. And after we educate them and walk them through the process, we send them our pre-qualification link. Now, if they have their numbers ready, you know, their financial reduction numbers ready, they have their employee counts ready, and they kind of have that that narrative painted out in their head as to how they uh, apply for the full partial shutdown, the questionnaire takes anywhere between, you know, two and four minutes. It, it's very quick and easy, very straightforward to, to just assess which quarters the organization um is applicable for the, for the credit where they qualify for the credit. Once they do that, then we, then they will receive a estimate on the amount of credit they will receive and an upload link. And all they do from that point of view is to upload their detailed payroll journals. I recommend that they do it by paycheck date. Uh, it can be as, as large as quarter base, but it's got to show every check date in that every employee, you know, the salary amounts, the taxes, et cetera, because it's got to be those details as well as your 941s. And for most time, most people, they're using, you know, some kind of payroll system where these are very basic reports that you can you can download with 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 a button and just you you upload those for the quarters in which you qualified. From there, our partner will analyze the analyze your payroll, analyze your your qualifying quarters and work to maximize the amount of credit that you receive from there. It is simple as they will bring you bring back to the client, the final number after this analysis and present a contract to them. So our partner offers this service in, in, in one of two ways. It can be completely contingent upon receiving the credit uh, to where you pay nothing until the credit's received, in which case they charge 15, a, a client can opt to pay in advance and they charge 10%. Now, obviously, if something happens and that credit is ever received, the IRS rejects it for whatever reason, maybe they had back taxes or you know whatever it may be, they will obviously uh, refund that, that, that fee, but it does give those two options. And you know, most of my clients are just opting for the 15% because the IRS right now is taking anywhere between two and six months to make the payments and, and why carry that load. Another very important thing about ERC is that it's actually real money. And my clients are shocked. We've now helped over over 35 companies qualify and have about another 18 processing. Our goal is to help over 500 companies get back over $100 million in ERC credits. So is there there a sweet spot in terms of number of employees? Like when does it start? When does it stop making sense? Like if you have five employees is that enough or if you have two employees is that even matt like would, would you even bother or is it you have to have 50 or 100 or hundreds of employees for this to make sense yeah that's a very good question so the answer is yes it makes sense for everybody and, and here's why i say that we've had a few people because they had no 
these are these are for profits. Um, so uh, for for profits, majority owners and their family members are exempt from the employee count. So we've had a few people who you know the the the, the core employees were owners and family and had a few part time people. Even an organization like that, where they have no full time people who are qualifying because the owners don't count, they still have gotten three to five grand. And again, this is with the with conversation with us and the forms and the uploading. You're talking fifteen to twenty five minutes. So even if you take that out to an hourly rate, you're still talking six to ten thousand dollars an hour, right? So so no one's no one you know most people don't make that make that an hour. So even if you have very few people, I just helped an association where it's just the executive director again because it's not he's not an owner, right? It's it's nonprofit. You know he got twelve thousand dollars. You know a small state association that probably has a budget of three to five hundred thousand dollars, you know gets an extra twelve grand in their bank account. That that's huge for them. Now it also can be large, so it, one to t- one one employee to one hundred employees is pro- is a sweet spot that we play in. Um, and, and here's some numbers: we've we've helped an organization that had about seven to nine full time employees. I say about because they had some part time, etc. They got one hundred fifty thousand dollars. We helped a small property management company um, get two hundred twelve thousand. We have a government contractor firm that had. 29 employees got 586,000. So generally I say that if you have 25 or more employees, you're looking over $500,000. If you're over 50 employees and you, you probably qualify for at least four or five quarters, you're looking at over a million dollars. And the reason why I say our sweet spots one to 100, because when you hit more than 100 employees, the rules do change. So there's no limit on, on how high you can go. But when you switch to 100 to 500, you only can qualify in 2021, which is harder to qualify for than in 2020. So it's reducing them again. It's now it's reducing the amount of qualifying quarters from six to three. When you go 500 and greater, it's still in only in 2021, but it's not all employees. It's only employees that you paid who were not working. So, yeah, any, any, any and all companies and organizations, regardless of size, absolutely can qualify for ERC. It just, there's just different parameters depending on that size. Well, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on the team, uh, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Website um, or LinkedIn? What, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Or Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give two. Uh, so so the, the easiest way is to email us at info <laughs> at think dash lateral.com or obviously you can go to our website think dash lateral.com we do have an erc page on there with some videos uh with a a form where you can put in your information uh and we'll get back to you asap so those those are the two best ways to get a hold of us good stuff well john thank you so much for sharing your story you're doing important work and we appreciate you thanks for having me all right this is lee Cantor. we'll see you all next time on association leadership radio